Hey, if you have a Bible, uh, turn to John chapter 8. In your Bible, John chapter 8. As you're turning there, I want to just one more time just reflect on what God did last weekend with you. It was, it was amazing. Uh, it was supernatural, really. And most people don't have the opportunity to get the feedback that we get. And I have a list of emails and testimonies of people that just their lives were changed. Uh, multiple people testified that they had been in pain every single day for 10 years or more. Multiple people that the pain left. Um, Bobby testified to one person that talked about an addiction that they struggled with for, I think, 30 years and uh, just what God did. And um, so there's there's physical healings that took place, but there were spiritual healings that took place. You know, the greatest miracle that God can ever do is heal the human heart, you know. Uh, But of all the things, it's just, it's amazing that God isn't boxed up by our you know, our practice of religion, and, uh, but that he has freedom because of your faith to move in this place. And um, we just want you to be encouraged that even though you might not understand everything, and, and I'm with you, I don't always understand everything I see or experience, especially in a situation like last weekend, but there's something beautiful to setting, uh, setting aside what it is that we think we have a, a grip on and just giving the Holy Spirit freedom to, to move, and the proof is in the pudding, you know? I mean, it's amazing. So on that note, I want to invite you, if you have any te- sort of testimony, big or small, if God did something in your life, life of your family, or somebody you know, if you would just shoot us an email at amen at heartofthecitychurch.org, um, that would be amazing because we just love to, to collect and distribute the testimony of what God is doing and encourage people that way. So that address is amen at heartofthecitychurch.org. And then I also want to offer you this, just this personal invitation. If, if you have questions about maybe something that you heard or experienced or you just don't know about, uh, you can email me directly at craig at heartofthecitychurch.org because I would love to just chat with you about any questions that you might have. I personally did not grow up in this sort of church, and so I really resonate with people that don't kind of understand all of what's going on in those sort of situations, and so I'd love to chat with you. If that's you, I just want to make myself available to you. So let's, uh, let's jump in here. Hey, why don't you stand up as we read the Bible together? I don't always do this, but sometimes I like to. Um, we're going to read just a, a couple verses together out of John chapter 8. And the title of this message is, The Truth Will Set You Free. The Truth Will Set You Free. We're going to start in John 8, verse 30. If you would please just direct the fullness of your attention towards the Word of God tonight. It says, as he, he being Jesus, as he was saying these things, many people believed in him. Say this with me, in him. In him. Look at your neighbor and say, do you believe in him? Do you believe in him? As he was speaking and teaching, many people believed in him. And so then Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you truly are my disciples. 
If you wonder if you're Jesus' disciple, according to him, it's if you abide in his word. There's litmus tests that he gives us all throughout the scriptures for you to test the fruit in your life to know where you stand with him. He says, if you are my disciples, you will abide in my word. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They apparently were not very pleased with this declaration, and so they said, we are offspring of Abraham, and we have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say to us that you will become free? And so Jesus answered them and said, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever, but the son or the daughter, the family member, those who are in the family of God, they remain forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. Are you abiding in his word or does his word find no place in you? He's starting to draw out and describe what it is to be a disciple versus a slave, what it is to be somebody who's free versus somebody who's in captivity. Do you have his word in you? Do you abide in his word or does his word find no place in you? And then he says this, I speak And I almost left this verse out because sometimes when you don't study, you have a a lacking of understanding of what something means. But I just thought, I need to to include this tonight. And I studied more into it, and it it was amazing what God revealed to me. Verse 38, this is the last verse, says, I speak of what I have seen with my father, but you do what you have heard from your father. And he goes on to basically call them children of the devil, which we'll, we'll skip that sermon for next time. I'm going to let Seth preach on that next week. Let's pray together. And uh, we're jumping into this subject for the week in this I Have Decided series that's all about the spiritual disciplines. The theme this weekend is study. Study the seeking out, the pursuit of truth. And so I am definitely not the author of truth, but I know one who is. And so let's ask that he would reveal to us his truth tonight and that his truth would transform our lives. Lord, we thank you for your presence here in this place, that you're not a distant God, but you are here right in our midst right now because we gather with faith in your name, ready, expectant, full of faith to seek you, to hear from you, And so, Lord, we ask that you would tailor the words that come out of my mouth, that it would be from your spirit and from your heart, that your word would go deep down inside of us and transform us and make us to be the people that you desire that we would be. We commit to you uh, all that we are for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, you can grab a seat. I want to play a game with you, if that's okay. Is it okay to have fun in church? It's a game show. I'm going to play a game. It's called, Is It In There? It's called, Is It In There? I'm going to read to you some scripture, and you're going to tell me whether it's in the Bible or not. Fair enough? Is it in there? 
Scripture number one. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Is it in there? It's in there, Johnny. The book of Matthew, chapter 5, verse 3. Truly, truly, I say unto thee. It's got to be in there. It says thee. Who talks like that? (laughs) Truly, truly, I say unto thee, God desires above all things to make you happy. No, it's not in there. That's the book of Oprah, chapter 2, verse 27. I'm just, I'm just kidding. Okay. Is it in there? As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also are to be holy in all of your conduct. Yes, it's in there. God desires to make us holy, not necessarily happy. That's 1 Peter 1, verses 14 and 15. Is it in there? God helps those who help themselves. No, that's 1st Americanian, 1776. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted, and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. Come on, y'all are so good. Psalm 34. Here we go. Money is the root of all evil. That's, uh, that's second misconceptions 3-5. It's not in there. Not in there. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. That is in there. 1 Timothy 6-10. If you have any money, that one might be a good one for you to distinguish between the two. Just follow your heart and believe and you could do anything. (laughs) Song of Disney 2018. (laughs) Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Proverbs 3, 5 and 6. Okay, that was fun and scary. Here's the thing. It's important what we know to be true. And that is the reason why study is important. Study is important because truth is important. And truth is important because what you and I believe is important. Now this goes back to the very beginning. Now remember this. In the beginning there was nothing. There was darkness. But God existed. And God spoke. Notice the way that God creates is through the speaking of his word. Everything that God says is true and it shall come to pass. God cannot lie. He is not a liar. Everything that he says happens even to the, to the fact of creation. He speaks and there's light. And he speaks and vegetation comes. And he speaks and there's an expanse. And he speaks and, and uh, there's animals that form and fish and birds and all these things. He speaks these things into existence and then he speaks man into creation and then he speaks this commandment to us and he says I've created all of this for you enjoy everything in the garden that's the first commandment that God gives enjoy everything in the garden 
It's a commandment to enjoy and to participate in the goodness of who God is. This is truth. This is what he says, and so it's true. And the second thing that he says, which is also true, but it's subsidiary to the first thing, is do not eat of this one tree. It's an invitation to trust him. So he speaks, and things are created, and he speaks, and truth is proclaimed, and it's an opportunity for humanity to listen to his voice, believe it, and obey it. Okay? So when, when truth is offered to us, when anything is offered to us as fact, it's an invitation for us to, to decipher and discern, is this true? And if it is, am I going to believe it and am I, am, am I going to obey it? And so right after God proclaims his truth, the serpent comes in, you find this in the book of Genesis, and he proclaims his own truth. He proclaims something to be fact that indeed was not fact, and they had an opportunity to acknowledge this statement that came their way, to decipher it, to discern it, to choose to obey it, and, or to choose to believe it and obey it, and what did they do? They believed. The serpent says, did God really say to you that you can't eat of any tree in the garden? And he sows deception. This is what the devil does. The devil is a liar. That's his, that's his weapon against us, is deception and lies. That's it. And so there's been this battle that's been uh, raging since the beginning of creation, and it's a battle of truth and deception. It's a battle that's still going on today. It's a battle that says, will you believe in the truth of God? Will you believe it and obey it? Or will you believe in the truth of the evil one or the truth of the world or the truth of your neighbor or the truth of that magazine or the truth of all the fake news that's out there? I mean, there's so much information that's coming at us at a million miles an hour these days. It's almost, un I mean, how do we deal with all this? Study. Study. Just because you're not an academic person or you don't like to read does not mean that you don't need to study. Why? Because truth is so important and what you believe means everything. And there's a battle that's going on and it's going on right now and it's going on in your mind and in your heart and in your soul and it's a battle as to whether or not you're gonna believe the truth of God and obey it or believe another voice. This is why Jesus cares so much about truth. Because it's not nuclear warheads that are gonna take you out. It's not guns and knives and armies that's gonna take you out. It's your disbelief in the truth that will kill you. It's an eternal matter. What you believe is an eternal matter. And so Jesus here in John chapter eight, if you were to go back and read it, he just, he just gets done in a beautiful way uh, pardoning this woman who was caught in adultery at the beginning of the chapter and, and showing such immense love and grace towards her and then, and then turning the tables on these people that were accusing her and, and saying, hey, does anybody have no sin? Then go ahead and throw the stone at her and they all walk away and he sends her away and he says, go and sin no more. And then he goes on to, to talk about who he is and if you were to read it, which we didn't have time tonight, but he talks about, he makes these seven statements in the book of John, beautiful seven I am statements 
moments where he's making these declarations about who he is, his identity, and it's all founded in his relationship with his father. And in this particular chapter, he says, I am the light of the world. And he has this conversation with these people about who he is and where he comes from and his relationship with God. And right at the end of that, where he's describing who he is, it says this, and we read it in verse 30. It says, as he was saying these things, many people believed in him. And he goes on to describe to them that there's going to be people that believe, there's going to be people that abide in him, there's going to be people that trust in his word and listen to it and obey it, and there's going to be people that don't and that those people are slaves. And it's all based on truth. And so I want to invite you tonight uh, to ask yourself, what truth will you hear, what truth will you listen to, what truth will you believe, and what truth will you obey? And we're gonna look at this passage through, through the lens of these four things. The goal of Jesus' truth is freedom. The need that we have is for knowledge of the truth. The path that he gives to us is abiding in his word, and the call that he's given us is to search it out, to study it, to believe it, and to abide in it. So let's jump in. Number one, the goal of truth for Jesus is your freedom. The goal of truth for Jesus, the goal of his ministry, the goal of his presence and coming to earth is for your freedom. Verse 32, and the truth will set you free. And verse 36, who the sun sets free is free indeed. The goal of Jesus' work is your freedom. Are you free tonight? Like truly free? Come on, I'm I'm American, of course I'm free. Land of the free, home of the brave. We're the freest nation to ever. Are we really free? You know, sometimes we can think we're free, but really be in total captivity. When I was 23 years old, it was 2007. I was fresh out of college with a big, huge student loan bill. But one thing I, well, two things I had was this. A desire to buy a house and a really good credit score. The reason I had a good credit score is because my dad got me a debit card when I was 16. And he said, don't you dare put any money on this that you don't have cash to pay it off. But he got me a debit card. And so because I was using this debit card for the past six, seven years, I had this amazing credit score. Even though I had no money and no assets and I had nothing. But I had this, this number that, like, in 07 meant something to some people called Countrywide. Okay? So I walk into this office, and Countrywide did what Countrywide did in 07. And the real estate market was going like this, and everybody was just riding the wave of prosperity. And I sat down and I said, I'm making a minimum wage working 25 hours a week at Dutch Bros. <laughs> and I get tips. And she said, your credit is amazing. You are free to buy whatever you want. <laughs> Did they verify my income? No. It wasn't necessary back then. Let's just put it like this. 
The fun part of the story is I'm the quintessential example of what went wrong with our entire country. So you're welcome. <laughs> I bought a house at 23 with a mortgage bigger than I made every month because I had roommates that could help me pay for it. And I paid off exactly zero dollars and zero cents of my principal for, for like five years. And when the market went down in 2008 and everybody lost everything, some of you might be in this room and you don't even want to remember those years. I was very lucky because I had I'd purchased in a good position and I was like break even because I had purchased so well. But all of a sudden, this, this freedom of, wow, I could buy this house, I could do whatever I want, I'm going to make money when I sell this thing. All of a sudden, this freedom to, to purchase and to buy now became enslavement to this loan that I had no idea how I was going to get out of. And in seven years, they were going to adjust that rate. And, and this, is what people, this is what people went through. Some of you might have gone through this. They, get, they gave out these horrific loans, and they adjusted the rate and required these balloon payments, and, and that's why everything just went down. But back then, either I didn't know, or countrywide didn't know, or they did know, and they didn't care, but there were some very poor decisions being made. And because of it, I thought I was walking in great freedom when really I was in captivity. And it took a lot of people out. I was really lucky. But freedom is a thing that sometimes we think we have when we really don't. What Jesus is saying to these people, these people who thought that they were free, these people that would get angry with him when he would even insinuate that they're not free, is that if you are given to sin at all, then you're a slave to that sin. That is to say that if, if sin has a hold on you, a grip on you at all, then you're enslaved to it. Now, this is a much uh, larger subject that we really don't have time to really get into here now, but it would be a great subject for you to study. But if I could just put it like this, the, the overwhelming message of the New Testament, especially the book of Romans, is this, that unless you are in Christ, unless you abide in Christ, you truly are a slave to your sin, even if you don't think so, even if you think you have power over it, you do not have the ability not to sin. Now, for those who are in Christ, the message is not that we will be perfect always. The message is that now we have the option not to sin. We might still choose to sin, but it's not a guaranteed feature of our existence. If you are in Christ, if you have the Holy Spirit living in you, you have been set free from the obligation to sin. Therefore, you're not enslaved to it. Now, you know as well as I do that even if you're a follower of Jesus, sometimes we, we do sin and sometimes we, we make mistakes and all those things. But if you're truly in Christ, if you abide in Christ, you are not a slave to sin. But what he's saying is, if you don't abide in me, you are indeed enslaved. They were a little frustrated by that. But he needs to point out to us that we have to recognize that we need him to set us free from the slavery that we're in. You see, that truth 
that's being proclaimed is a truth that's proclaimed to us not to tell us just that we're in jail and that we're enslaved, but it's a truth that's proclaimed to us that if we believe it and we abide in it, that we will be set free. You see, freedom is the goal of the truth that Jesus proclaims to us. Freedom. For now and for eternity. His goal is freedom. Number two, the need that we have then is knowledge of the truth. Knowledge of the truth. Verse 32, you will know the truth and your knowledge of the truth will set you free. Sometimes you have the ability to be free but no knowledge of it and so you don't walk in it. Listen to this. On January 1st, 1863, Abraham Lincoln signed the Emancipation Proclamation. But there were slaves in Texas that didn't hear about it for a year and a half and therefore they stayed in slavery because, not because they didn't have the ability to walk in freedom, because they had no knowledge of the truth that was afforded to them. You see, there is truth that is offered to you, but if you have no knowledge of it, you can't walk in it. It'd be like you bought a 1976 Pinto because that's all you could afford, and for all the young people, that's a really bad car. Raise your hand if you had a Pinto. Who had a Pinto? Come on. It'd be like if you bought a 1976 Pinto and you're frustrated at life because you're driving in this junker and it's always breaking down on you, but you don't realize that somebody put a winning lottery ticket right under the front seat. See, you're driving around in this thing that's enslaving you and all the while you have access to the freedom to buy whatever you want, but because you don't know it's down there, you can't walk in it. Jesus is concerned with our freedom, and because he's concerned with our freedom, he's concerned with us knowing the truth. Knowing the truth. Truth is important, therefore study is important because we need to know what the truth is in order to walk in it, right? Number three, therefore, the path to freedom and the path to knowing his truth is believing and abiding in him. This is what Jesus says. The path to freedom and the path to the knowledge of the truth which will set us free is believing and abiding in him. Verse 31. You will abide in my word and you will be my disciples and then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Now watch this. This is fun because God just gave me this this week as I was studying. Um, yeah, this is a week on study. Um, this is an amazing thing. I, I happen to read primarily out of the ESV. Um, I just I happen to like it. It's it's one of the more literal versions of the scripture. And so I read this, and I knew that I was going to speak on this passage, and then I read it in my study Bible, which is also an ESV, and then I noticed that there was, there was one small difference between the two, and I, I couldn't figure it out because I was like, hold up. And this is what I saw. Listen to this, because this is, this is a little unique. He's talking, and then in verse 30, it says this, 
as he was saying these things, many believed in him. Many believed in him. And then I read verse 31, and it says, So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him. Now, you might not notice that there's a difference there, but then I read it in my, in my other ESV version, and it said, verse 30, as he was saying these things, many people believed in him. And then verse 31 says, so Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, and it goes on. And I was like, hold up. That's not what this version says. Why does it say it in that version? And it's the same translation. And so I looked in the beginning, and I said, oh, the study Bible is the 2007 translation, and this one is the 2011 translation. And so these people, sometime within those four years, went back to this single verse and realized that they had made a tiny little itty-bitty mistake, and so they changed the word. And if they had never studied, they might not have caught it. If I had never studied, I might not have caught it. And you know what? I don't want to put you on edge like you're never, you know, you can't understand the scripture. You can. God reveals his truth to you. But this is just a beautiful thing that when, you, when you study something that you can have great understanding. So I went back to the original language, and this is what I found. And I think that this is actually extremely important. The, the text clearly points out in the original language in verse 30 because it really doesn't make sense for Jesus to say these things to people that had believed in him. But when you understand it in his context, it makes perfect sense what he's saying. It says, as he was speaking his truth, many people believed in him. Like they put their belief inside of him. It's like this term, if you're in Christ, it's not just like believing in Jesus from afar, but, but it's, like, it's like God is inserting you into Jesus. It's like in 2 Corinthians when it says that when God sees you, he sees you as the righteousness of God through Christ. It's like God sees you in the person of his son because you're in him. And so this is what it's saying is that these people believed in him in this intimate knowledge. They were in him. And that's not actually what it says in verse 31. And so the correction that they made in the 2011 version is actually fully right and fully true. And because he could have, the, the writer could have chosen to use the same word, but he didn't. He used a different construction of the term to believe or to know something. And it says that there were some there that believed in him as if from afar. I mean, they believed him, but they didn't believe in him. They believed him, but didn't believe in him. Now, this is actually an extremely important distinction, especially in light of this fact that we know in John, uh, in John 6 that the work of God is to believe in the one whom God has sent, Jesus Christ. Our, our work is to believe in him, not to do all the religious things, but to believe. But what does that mean, to believe? It means to believe so much in him that you abide in him, not just to intellectually believe that he existed. Listen, the scripture says in James that even the demons believe in Jesus' existence. And so through study, you and I must acknowledge the fact that there's a difference between intellectual belief in existence and true belief in relationship. You could, you could believe that Jesus was a person that actually lived 2,000 years ago. Like, you believe that he was really a man. You believe that the Romans put him on a cross. You believe that he existed. You could academically, intellectually believe those facts, but not have put your whole faith and life in him. 
This is the distinction that he's making between those who are free and those who are enslaved. The distinction that he's making between those who are his disciples and those who aren't. It says that many who heard his truth believed in him. And then he turns to those that just believed him. And now the passage makes sense. They didn't fully abide in him, and so that's why he says to them, if you abide in my word, then you will be my disciples. This is the illumination that study brings. And you might be thinking, you know, I'm not going to go back to the original text and, and all that. And that's okay. And again, I really want to emphasize, when you, read, when you read the word as you have it, you have access to truth. The Holy Spirit will lead you. But I've, I just, I personally believe that there's never been a time in all of human history that we have such access to the truth of God at our fingertips and such little a desire to pursue it. Have you ever just stopped to think about how amazing it is that at the click of a button, you have access to thousands of translations of the scripture. When there are still people living on this planet that don't have it in their own language and they're desperate for it, they're thirsty for the word of God. If only they could have the truth of God available to them, they would yearn for it. And yet we don't care. Such access, we do care. Generally speaking, people just don't seem to care. We should be a people that search after truth because truth is important. Because you have to believe, you have to have correct truth in order to believe correctly. And you have to believe correctly in order to abide correctly. This is a battle that's been going on for all of time. If you don't know this, there is a war that's being waged for your soul and for your mind. And Romans 12 says, do not be conformed to the ways of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We have to let God's truth get into us and if we don't search it out some way, somehow, if we don't study it, how are we ever going to know it and believe it and walk in it? This is why study is so important. Richard Foster says this in his book. He says, the purpose of the spiritual disciplines is the total transformation of the person. They aim at replacing the old destructive habits of thought with new life-giving habits. Nowhere is this purpose more clearly seen than in the discipline of study. Study is extremely important. But it's a discipline or a practice that we can give ourselves to that the purpose of it is something that is beyond itself. 
Study is not the goal. Just like most of the spiritual disciplines, them in and of themselves is not the goal. Study is what we'll do in order to get to the goal, which is knowledge of the truth, relationship with God, and freedom. I was just talking to a young person this week who, who went to a Bible college that I will not name. And this, this young man's life was radically changed when he was in high school. He, he did not grow up believing in Jesus. He grew up living a crazy life. He showed me the scars that are on his fingers. He's only 20 years old from getting in fights in the locker room. He said, that's just what we did. I said, did you, did you get in fights with, with people because for you as sport and like athletics or because you had anger inside you? And he said, oh, I was anger. I just wanted to, I just wanted to rage on people. He went on to talk about, I don't want to divulge too much, but he went on to talk about his life and basically he lived for the flesh. Let's just put it like that. And the truth of the God of the universe was proclaimed to him. This is why the preaching of the gospel is so important, by the way. Because how can people believe unless somebody speaks? How can, some, how can they hear unless somebody goes to them and proclaims it? Somebody preached the truth of the gospel to him. And when he received that truth and he was found to be in Christ, it changed everything about his life. And he was on fire for what God was doing in his soul. Everything changed. He couldn't help but tell everybody about it. He couldn't help but just want to go and bring his friends to church and, and, and go and preach the gospel to the homeless in downtown Spokane. Because everything had changed. And he just he thought to himself, I love God. He's changed my life, and so I want to go to this school and study and learn more about him. I want, to, I want to know everything there is to know about God. And so he goes to this Bible college, and he finds these people that have so much knowledge and so much intellect and so much wisdom and studying upon studying upon studying. And he said to his roommates, hey, this is great information that we're learning. Now let's go share it with some people. And they said, what? We don't, we don't talk to those people. What? I've got a paper to write. And in the context of studying all things God, he found his soul to be withering away and dying. Because study for the sake of academic intellectual accumulation for itself can kill you. But when we study to know the truth, to bring us closer to relationship with God, so that we can then illuminate that truth for the world, we will be alive. This is the purpose of study. That we would learn the truth, that then we can live the truth, that then we can proclaim the truth to a dying world. Do you know the truth? Have you received the truth? And have you so believed the truth that your very life is abiding in Christ? Because that's his desire for you, that you would abide in him, that you would know him, and that that relationship would set you free. Would you stand to your feet tonight in closing? I'd like to invite the prayer team to come forward. This is, um, 
This is one of those messages that, you know, there might not necessarily be the perfect altar call, but I do want to open the altar up for prayer for you. But I want to point out a few things that, that you could call the so what, now what. So what, preacher, you said all that, now what do I do? I would say this, first of all, you should read the Bible. Come on. We, we went into this, this series determining in our heart that we were going to give you something so simple and so practical that there wouldn't be anybody that shows up that couldn't do it. If you don't have a Bible, there are some in the lobby. You can take it. You can have it. You can keep it. Every single one of us, we can put this into practice this week. We could study this week. It's okay if you're not an academic. It's okay if, if you're, not, you know, you, you're not very good at reading. Just read one verse. Read two verses. Read for five minutes. Read for 15 minutes. It's not about being legalistic. It's about seeking God and his truth and his heart for you. It's about coming alive and abiding in him. Study. Man, there's so, there's, there's so many things. I didn't even, I, I'm really was preaching just about studying to know the, the primary truth of the gospel, but there's so many things that we can study in life. How to be a better parent, how to have better finances, how to, how to uh, treat people uh, with love and respect, and how to forgive people, how to overcome grief. There's so many things that you could study in life. Give yourself over to the studying of truth. The scripture says, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is good, whatever is praiseworthy, think about those things. We think about so many other things in this life that are not beneficial for our soul. Put your mind and your heart towards pursuing the good things, the truthful things, the things that are going to help you grow. The second thing would be this. I want to invite every one of you to consider uh, being a part of heart school. We've been, we've been listening to you. We've been listening to you. You've been saying, we're, we're a church that's really good at leading people to a relationship with God, but we need more. We're thirsty for more. We heard you. It's called heart school. It's starting this week on Wednesday. There's one on Tuesday. There's one on Tuesday. There's seven on Wednesday. We're going we're gonna to grow more and more and more. And it, it, you, it's going to take everybody being a part of it. But the point of it is not to just, you know, amass more intellectual information, but that we might all grow together, that we might all abide in Christ and his truth more, that we might represent him better in this world.